Hello again, everybody, and welcome to episode 21, the Roberto Clemente edition of Angles and Attitudes. As always, he's John, and I'm Mark. Today, we take to the diamond to welcome an esteemed scout and former outfielder for the San Francisco Giants. Chris Borges, welcome to Angles and Attitudes. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, guys. Hey, Chris. All right, I'll tell you what, we're going to go, we're going to try to start from the beginning without getting too deep into it. But the first thing that caught my eye when we were talking and uh, doing a little research, Gordon Tech. I'm going to let you start at Gordon Tech over on California and Addison, and, and we'll pick up the saga from there. The floor is yours, Chris. Uh, Gordon Tech, great memories. And everybody that I know have alumni that I talked to, um, great school at the time, you know, all boys, Catholic school, disciplined, tough school. You came out of there a little tougher than you went in. But um, for me, it was all, my life's always been about baseball. And I'll admit right now, uh, school wasn't my priority, but it was always baseball. We had a coach there by the name of Brother Frank, who wasn't the most knowledgeable baseball coach, but he had the biggest heart and he was a great guy to play for. And um, just play, play hard for him. And, and I, I really believe that uh, the career I've had in the game over 40 years as a player and a scout had a lot to do with him and just being around the man and just uh, knowing how to act on the field, know how to play hard and just playing the right, the game the right way. But Gordon Tech's been special for me all, for my whole life. Well, um, you mentioned something for me and I, and I, and I know everybody says, Hey, nobody wants to listen to, you know, to you guys, uh, John or Mark, you listen to the guests. But my dad uh, taught at Gordon Tech, and uh, Brother Frank's name had come up more than one or two times. Coach Winicki with the football program, because yeah. we had uh, Tony Bertuca on a while ago, so that uh, those Catholic League bl uh, bloodlines uh, run really deep, no doubt about it. Yeah, it was a special time. In, um, Chris, yeah. I want to ask you a question in regards sure. to Brother Frank. Yeah. Um, I, so what you're saying is, I mean, he was this – Coach, who showed you a lot about the passion of the game and everything else, but yeah. not the an old guy maybe that you might have met in college, correct? No, I my the the, the most important uh, coach I had probably, and I'd say Brother Frank's right at the top. But as far as learning how to play the game and teaching me the next step after high school, was a man named Harry Tholen, who um, he coached at Mayfair Junior College. I don't know if you re even remember that. It was, it was, it's still, the building is still there. It's right off the Edens and uh, Montrose. It's a neighborhood right in there. It's in the Mayfair neighborhood. We had no athletic field, none. We had a gym and this coach, uh, it was like his second year coaching out of college. He recruited kids mostly from the oh, North and South side. And he ended up uh, recruiting me. I had nowhere to go at the time. I was at Lewis University I had a health problem. I had to go in the hospital, so I couldn't stay there. So I had to transfer to junior college. And um, to this day, I talk to him like once a month. He's in the junior college hall of fame. From there, he actually went to Santa Fe Community College in Florida. I had a great program down there. And probably, and I, I called him when my son got to the big leagues. And um, I had, I, I we had a long conversation. And I, I had said, just like this coach, if you hadn't recruited me, and I hadn't played for you, I don't think I would have had the career in baseball that I have, and I don't think my son would have got to the big leagues. I really believe that. He made oh, a difference. Oh. And this was just an inner-city school. No, we, we played all our games on the road. We practiced 
at Labau Woods, the open fields. We made our own little bases. And we would sometimes practice in a little parking lot out there, just playing catch and uh, catching ground balls, running sprints, getting in shape. But it was a great experience. It was really great. It taught us, you know, that taught me that these big league players come from everywhere. It doesn't oh. matter. They don't have to be at ASU. They don't have to be USC or Stanford. If you look, you know, they come from the small towns in Dominican. They come from our small towns. They come from high school, junior college. And uh, it's, it, that's why it's such a great game. It's, it's fun to scout that way, too. You see these kids, they come from everywhere. All right, you bring back some memories, too. I grew up in the city. as yeah. My dad was a Chicago school teacher. So we would play over at uh, Barry off of uh, the first year. We'd be in the parking lot of the school with rubber-coated baseballs. Yeah. And you practice. And you learn how to be an infielder because that ball got on you quick off the asphalt with the rubber-coated baseball. So... That's you know, an interesting point you make in the sense that as, as a scout, then you never really gave up or couldn't have a preconceived notion that said the kid came from this program or this no, program. You know, I, I tell kids all the time, they all, they all want to go to the big schools. They want to go to ASU. And I think that's great. Great programs, great competition. But my answer to them is when they ask, I said, if you can play, we're going to find you. And, and you go over the rosters in the major leagues. There's a lot of kids that come from good schools and big school, good baseball programs, but they come from everywhere. You were talking about the rubber ball. And this is, you'll like this. So when you're in high school in Chicago or, or Little League, where I played at Horner Park Little League, and that's where Gordon Tech's home field was, as an outfielder, when you got a base hit, they would teach you to get down on one knee to block the ball. I don't know if you guys, if you played, I don't know if you remember that. And it makes sense. You would never teach that in professional baseball because there are no bad hops. Mm -hmm. If you get down on one knee and there's a fat, let's say, let's say you go back to Ricky Henderson. He hits a base hit to center and you get down to one knee, you're not going to have time to throw him out. He's going to go right to second. It's something that brought, that brought back to memory, the rubber balls and the bad hops. No. You always had this open mind then when it came to the player where if he was going to the big school or like oh. you said, we'll find you if you're Absolutely. this talented player. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you have to go to the big schools because a lot of the, <laughs> the players that are prospects in high school that didn't sign, they usually end up at the big schools. So you have to go see them play. Not that I didn't want to go see them play. There's good players there, but you have to see the small schools. You have to see the junior colleges. And uh, it's, it's a grind because there's so many of them out there, but you have to do your work. You, you and literally uh, driving all over the Midwest. When I scouted there, I, I'm in little towns I never heard of in Iowa, Missouri, Wisconsin. And uh, out here in the Four Corners area, Arizona, it was a little easier because the weather was better. And there weren't that many, there aren't that many colleges, college baseball programs, especially when I first moved out there. There's more now, but it's not like in the Midwest. That's a tough uh, thing. And obviously with all the, the explosion of travel baseball and all, but you brought up Horner Park and that. And we used to play in the John uh, Marson Little League. We used to have that nice little field in Madonna High School, tucked in the back there, and it was always well manicured. And they moved us, and we played at, I think, Kilbourne the first oh, I year. I remember played at Kilbourne once. And, and what you're talking about, yeah. I learned that getting down on one knee, we took infield the first time. I was playing shortstop, and balls were just shooting by oh. me <laughs> as if they were bullets because that infield was Should so have been hard. a goalie, yeah. Yeah, and you had no, no choice there. So obviously the game has changed going to find those guys. Kids now with the changes as far as being able to transfer in that in college, will that 
change where those kids got in line and got stuck behind somebody at the big schools where they had three left fielders and, you know, six center fielders and the kid might get to play when he's a senior? Well, sure. I, that's another thing, you know, I, t- I used to, you know, and I, I haven't, I didn't, I haven't scouted high school and college and since, um, uh, 98, I was an area scout from 90. Let me think. No, I'm sorry. Yeah. 98, 80, 84 through 98. And then I was a pro scout after that, but I stayed in touch because my son was a player. I knew everything was going on in the four corners, but the important thing, and, and they mentioned it on a, um, watching the Dodgers game an Astros game. No, Rockies Cubs games I was watching last night. And they brought this up. Jeff Hewson, who's a color guy for the Colorado Rockies, or know very well. He brought up the point. He said, when I talk to these high school kids and they want to go to the best program in the country, but they have no chance of playing, or may at least as a freshman or sophomore, and they might not play later. He said what I always said, go where you can play. If you you're playing to get you you go to college to play baseball, you play the game to play it, not to sit on the bench. And you're not going to get any better sitting on the bench. You don't have to, again, getting back to, you don't have to go to the big program. You can go to a quality junior college program or a small NAI school and have success there and get better and have a chance to play professional baseball. Of course, if you, if you're really good and you're really recruited and you have a chance to go to these big programs, great. That's great. But you got to play, you got to play the game to get better. I was going to ask Mark, uh, Chris, when you left Gordon, was um, were there a lot of choices for you when it came to the colleges or was Northern that first choice? No, I, the two main ones, well, Southern Illinois, Northeastern in Chicago. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> the two that came down was Illinois State and Northern. And I ended up going to Northern. But if I had to do it over again, I would have gone to Illinois State. Although I wouldn't change, I don't, I, I, yeah, I guess I'm not telling the truth because I wouldn't change anything. Things have turned out great for me. I mean, I'm, things are good. But I think that was the wrong mistake at the time, even though things have turned out fine. Illinois State had a better program and a better coach at the time. Now, I didn't want to throw anybody on the bus, but that was the truth. That's it. Well, we were talking to Chip Carey the other day and he's like, sometimes the truth is just the truth. And it's not a matter yeah, of throwing everybody under the bus, yeah. but it is the truth. Right. So John and I are also big hockey guys. You can see you know, Tony Esposito behind him. And in, in hockey, they'll take a kid, you know, Notre Dame or Michigan says, we don't watch you until you're 24, get a little bit of the stupid idea, go play junior hockey for a couple of years. And then we'll bring you back. Cause we don't have to feed you. We don't have to pay for you grow and learn the game. Is that still used to play in junior college versus putting a kid in the low minors and having them playing low A and having to spend money on yeah. them? Do you do you move yeah. to, to a JUCO or yeah, because you depends. you you don't have the rights to the player until you draft them? Okay. So I, the way I understand hockey, and it may have changed because I drafted uh, a player out of Minnesota. I think it was nineteen ninety six by the name of Tommy Quinlan. He was. Uh, he was the, the best hockey player in the state. I think it was Edmonton that drafted him, I think, the third round. And we drafted him 20th round, but we offered him a lot of money. He ended up signing with us. But the way I understood then, they had the rights to him forever or for mm-hmm. until he gets to the NHL. or and yeah, NHL. They would send him to junior, right. and they would play junior for a couple of years, and they could watch them and yeah. pluck them when they want. 
and they still own rights now when a kid goes to college because the kid that's the first yeah, pick in a draft is going to go back to Michigan, play a season, try to win a national championship. And as soon as their season's over, they he's still going to be rights. playing for whoever yeah. drafted. Baseball, no, they don't have the rights. Once you sign the player, you can't. He can't go to college either. Right. He's done, and that's why the minor leagues are the place to develop and to get better. And I still believe in that. And if you, and I know it's, it's changed a little bit. Teams are leaning more towards college players. But if you look at a lot of rosters, you go through the twenty-six. It's twenty-six men now. I can't even keep track. But you go through their rosters, oh, there's a lot of young players that sign. And if you count the Dominicans and the Venezuelans and Latin American players, they're young kids that sign. And those kids get really – they get a lot better playing in the minor leagues. I want to go back to you for yeah. a sec. Yeah. Uh, Chris, when were you noticed? Were you noticed at Northern? Uh, like when the Giants noticed you in that amateur draft? When were you noticed? My story is kind of interesting. It, it's, it's a little long, but I'll try to make it quick. So I – I was scouted in high school, undrafted. I scouted in junior college. I had scouts call me. I was undrafted. Went to Northern. I know there were scouts there. They actually talked to me undrafted. So I'm done with, I'm done with school. So I go play on this um, summer team in Chicago. It was called the Chicago Hornets. They're really well known then. We, we had the guy, uh, we, we, uh, Joe, I can't pronounce his name. It's a Pol Joe like Pavrinsky. He was a Polish guy, really good guy. He would actually, it was a semi-pro team and we had a lot of ex minor league players and a few guys like me. We even had Buzz Capra, if you remember that name, pitch on that. Sure, the righty on yeah. He would actually pay us to play. I didn't have to work all summer. I made more money that summer than my first two years as a minor league player. <laughs> so anyway, I played with a lot of ex minor league players and I was like the best hitter on the team. And they, they encouraged me. They said, we play with a lot of guys you're better. You got to keep trying. So I didn't give up. I worked hard. I went to Florida. I tried out with the White Sox, the Blue Jays, and the Pirates. And I always got positive feedback, but there was no room. So I ended up getting a shot. I tried out with the Giants. It was April 25th in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. It was in the Midwest League. That was one of their low A teams. And uh, the manager was a friend of mine. Uh, Guy I played with on that Chicago Hornet team, he played with Jack Mull. He was the manager for this giant team. He said, yeah, bring him out. I'll take a look at him. So I drove out there thinking this is just going to be another tryout. And they'll tell me, okay, you're okay, but we don't have room. Well, anyway, I had a good workout, did well. And he said, you know, you're not bad. I'm going to see what we can do as far as bringing you in in June to Casa Grande, Arizona, with the, uh, the, after the June draft, bringing the kids they just signed. Hang around tonight and I'll have an answer. Well, I didn't know what happened in the game last night. I show up at the ballpark the next morning, and one of their outfielders got hurt in their short on outfielders. So he said, listen, um, call the office in San Francisco. We need outfielders. I have permission to sign you right here. So, heck, yeah. So Jack Mall, the manager, said, listen, I know you just came here with a weekend still closed. Drive back to Chicago, get your stuff for the summer, and we'll see you tomorrow. But if you stay, you're in the lineup. So I'm like, well, I'm staying. <laughs> I, had a, I had a home run, a double, a single. And I don't know if you remember a guy that managed for the uh, Cubs, Chuck Cotier. Remember that? Yes, sir. He became a real good friend of mine, but he was a manager on the next team. And he tells a story up and he just passed away last winter, but he would tell oh, the story wow. over and over, even up to two years ago. 
he sat in the dugout and said, where the heck did this kid come from? Anyway, I hit 27 home runs, had over 100 ribbies, and hit 330, and I was a prospect. Went to Instructional League, and I was in the big leagues three years later. Wow. That's my – and it's a pretty good story. But And then I got hurt, and things happened. But that's what – if I hadn't made that drive to Cedar Rapids, Iowa, I don't, I don't know what I'd be doing. I'd be doing something else. That's anyway, it's just, yeah. It's just an amazing story. So that's right. if you want to play, don't give up and tell you you, you, you have to, you know. I, I didn't have a family at the time. My girlfriend who I married, you know, she was by my side, you know, go for it. Anyway. Well, that, that also shows how important that support system is, whether it's a coach, a mentor, um, a significant other in a family just says if that's what you want, you have to pour everything you got into it yeah. in order to be successful. That's a great story. Hey, we're going to yeah. switch and put your scout's hat on. And obviously the one that pops up, um, if you would, share the story of uh, chasing down Roy Halladay. Oh, uh, it's kind of sad now, but. Yes, um, yes, it is. So that was actually my first year in Arizona as a scout. I already scouted, been scouting for 10 years, but out of the Chicago area, which, which is where I grew up. But, and then, you know, I had the opportunity to transfer to Arizona, which has been a great move, but. So the summer before, I was still in the Chicago area, but I was covering the, it was like the junior Olympic team uh, and they were in St. Louis. And I just, I had to cover all the players and write reports on it. And Roy Halladay was from Colorado and I wrote a real nice report on him um, and, and other players. And I'm like, ah, oh, this is going to be my territory next year. This is going to be good. I already got a good look at him. So um, following spring, uh, his high school actually comes down to Arizona to play early, which is good. I get to see him early, and he doesn't throw very well. I think he topped out at 86 or 87. Wow. And the summer before, he was touching 93. Big, tall, athletic body, good arm action, quick arm, the whole thing. And But he had just got done with basketball. So you know he's kind of tired and worn out some. So we, I was just an area scout at the time, and we have what they call cross-checkers who see all the top players in the country. So I wanted to make sure that he was cross-checked, not only by our cross-checker, but our scouting directors, because I thought this kid was still going to be a high draft. So they came in, and, eh, you know, I think he topped out at 89. They liked him, but not the first round, not the second round, not the third round, maybe later. So now I go up to Denver, I see him, and now he's back. He's back what I saw last summer. So I had to beg these guys to come back in to see him. I said, hey, this is what we saw last summer. And they came in and they saw it. And that was it. We took him late first round. And, um, you know, didn't know the problems he had. You know, great kid, great family, just a humble, good person. But I'll never remember sitting in his house. And uh, he wanted to be a pilot like his dad. And I'll never forget that. But that's, you know. But you had the feeling about him, right, Chris? You had the feeling he had the goods. You know, I can't say that. I saw it, you know. So it wasn't like a, it wasn't like I was a brilliant scout that I said, oh, this guy's yeah, going to be yeah. this. I saw it the summer before, and it was there, you know. But I wasn't going to give up because I know what I saw. But, you know, sure. it, it, it worked out, you know, for a while. Anyway. But you bring up a, a, a point in there about coming off of basketball season. How do you put all of that stuff together to be able to say, well, the kid just came off of basketball. His legs are going to be tired. That's going to take two miles an hour off or whatever. How do you gather all of that in? Well, 
going back to kind of what I just said, see them early and then see them late before the draft because they get stronger. They get that basketball out of them. They get stronger. And hopefully you see them in the summer before. And that's part of scouting. Now, these guys are out there right now all summer. Well, since the draft and before the draft, they're looking for players for next year. So they're seeing kids in the Chicago area, here in Arizona. And they already have a good idea who they're going to like next spring. And they see pitchers this summer, like I saw Halliday, they're not going to quit on, on him his first outing next spring. They're going to see him again. And, uh, yeah, you, it's it, it's scouting is a lot different than most people think. There's a lot of typing. There's a lot of, you know, writing reports. There's a ridiculous travel. And John, I, I called John. I said, John, I, I can't leave tomorrow. I got to leave Thursday or whatever. And John was great helping me with my travel, you know. I remember those days. Uh, oh, it was good to have you, and you helped me a lot. But yeah, you have to stay with with the guy you saw and believe in, you know, and you just don't quit. Now, injuries can change a lot of things. So, uh, you, attitudes you take, can change. A kid might quit on himself, you know. So you got a prospect, and now are you sitting in a draft room at a certain point, and 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 it kind of goes around and it says, "Okay, Chris, you like." this guy here, you like Peter as a, as an outfielder, make your case for him and, yeah. and other guys are, and then who, who makes the player personnel well, guy or the GM makes the final so decision. You're up there for seven to 10 days before the draft. And that's where we get back to the national cross checker and the scouting director. They see everybody in every state, the top players. They're not going to see maybe a player you got in the 20th round or the 25th round. But they're going to see most of the kids we might you might take in the top 10 rounds. So now it's different. There's only 25 rounds. But in my day, there was no limit on rounds. So you, by the end of the seven to 10 days, you look when they're born, there's 700 players up there. And yeah, you make your case. But scouting director, national cross checker. So I see a player in Chicago and I think he's a third rounder. But I don't know. how. I can't compare him to the kid in California or, or in New York because I didn't see them. Okay. But you do make your case. And the scouting director, the national cross tracker, he makes his case. And the scouting director, he's the one that's, okay, now we're going to take this guy. We're going to take this guy. And now you got a board, and I'm going back to when I scouted. But there's 25 rounds. I'm still sure there's four or 500 kid players up there. Draft starts, a player gets taken, boom, he's off the board. The next guy moves up. It actually goes right up. Like we have this big, basically, uh, big garbage can. We throw it in there so it doesn't get mixed up. Because it's happening. So it's like, kind of like what we saw in Moneyball with that Billy Bean thing where they were taking the things off the board. I mean, I know that was a yeah. totally different well, aspect of what we're I talking Moneyball about. Was a, I thought Moneyball was a comedy. I know a lot of the guys yeah. that <laughs> were supposedly in there. It didn't go anything like it really happened. But yeah. It was a good movie. I'll give them that. Um, right. So it's happened. Where I'm going to take uh, the Detroit Tigers are going to take Peter Borges to the seventh round. And the commissioner will come out of that. Peter Borges is already taken in the sixth round. So you don't want to mess up, mess that up. You throw that out. He's gone. He's done. It's happened. It. It happened in our, in our, in the, with the Blue Jays one day. We're like, oh, so, so we, we have the opportunity to take another player though. They don't, they don't penalize us. So the higher profile, the kid from Vanderbilt, the pitcher from Vanderbilt, the Mets didn't have yeah. a slot for him financially, or they're concerned about it physically. I, so did I, they forfeit that or to be honest with you, I did read a little bit about that, but I don't read that much anymore. That's what it sounds like. It sounds, this is what I read yesterday. And I, 
I might be totally wrong, but they didn't get the complete medical before the draft, but they got it after they took him. That's what I thought I read. So I don't know. This kid may back, turn out never to get hurt, but medicals are so important. But if he goes back to Vandy, then he goes back into draft next year, and the yes. the the Mets lost, basically they, lost their. They've already position. lost their rights to because the, the the that day has passed. The, the, okay. The day, yeah. So, yeah, and again, I've been out of this the draft for years, but that I know they've lost okay. the rights to. Chris and Mark, if since your brew uh, since your days of being with Toronto, Milwaukee, Baltimore, did you see major major change, Chris, over those years and how scouting was done? Yeah, um, I, with the Toronto Blue Jays, I worked for the only general managers of the Hall of Fame, Pat Gillick, the best, absolute best. He would trust your decision. He would trust your reports. He wouldn't even look at statistics. He would trust, totally trust you. But I would also argue with the analytics that we have going today, we use analytics back then. I mean, I know that he looked at, he would trust what you said, but I know he looked at stats. And I even, if I'm scouting a double A player and I go in and watch the, this double A team or two teams for six days, I'd be crazy to not to look at how many home runs he's got or what kind of average or does he walk? Does he strike? I have my own formula. I've had it for 30 years. You know, it's just, but it's simple. I look at it. Takes this long, boom, boom, boom. Okay, I know, I, I know what he's done and what what he might do. But then I, it's it's also based on what I see. And almost a hundred percent of the time, I don't look at those stats till I write that report. And when I write, start writing that report, then I look at the stats, and almost a hundred percent of the time, it confirms what I just saw. Now I think there's a place for analytics, but I think we've gone way too far. And I give you an example. Tampa is probably the most analytical team in baseball and they're very successful but they also have a large scouting staff they believe in both they don't they don't look at the stats and then sign the, or trade for the player they have guys see them they're, they're they make sure they see this player and it confirms what the stats say um i think the giants do that the dodgers definitely do that um there's a lot of teams that do that and there are some that aren't are making a big mistake you have to that, is that where um a Pittsburgh or, uh, you know, a Cincinnati or like even a team like, uh, you know, Baltimore now, is that a shortage of feet on the street watching players to do a better job in their talent evaluation? Or how does a team like, you know, Baltimore's 30 games below 500? And yeah, I don't know what's going to happen there. Years. I don't, I don't agree with the way they're operating their scouting staff or anything they're doing over there. But I have no idea what's going to happen there. But you look at the teams that are really doing well, and the Giants, Dodgers, the Padres. I know they scout, but you know, and uh, the other teams. Um, I don't. White Sox. I know they scout, I, and I know a lot of people that work for their organizations. They're still, they're big on scouting. I mean, and but again, the analytics has has become a part of that, but they haven't given up on seeing a player and watching them and watching them play. How has the obviously the minor leagues now is it, it's changed a little bit? You're always low A, A, double A, triple A, and then you know, people argue the four A guy that just kind of bounces back and forth. Yeah. But is the bulk of the talent in an organization found at the double A level and the triple A guys just kind of come up for a couple? Is well, this that's the way it's been? I, I don't know if it's changed a little bit, but double A was always the you get through double A, 
and you're you're probably a pretty good player. Double A was kind of the cutoff. There's a lot of players that couldn't handle the double A competition, and that's where they hit their limit. Maybe send back to high. And it's always been that way, and I'm assuming it still is. Triple A, um, the way it's been, and I haven't been away from scouting that long. Early in the year is when you want to go see the prospects because they're going to be in the big leagues maybe, but before the middle of summer. Triple A is the up and down guy, the the veteran that's been around 10, 12 years that they keep maybe an emergency fill guy at the big league level that could come in and catch the ball in the middle, come in and throw strikes for a couple innings, and maybe he'll get set down after that. But um, And that's the way it's always been. Now, I don't know how they're trying to change it, but I don't think that's going to change too much. Chris, how involved were you in the last weeks of July uh, when that you know the team was looking for that veteran player just before the trading deadline yeah. uh, as they're going into a playoff yeah. run of game? Well, that's a mad, How involved were you with that? That's a mad dash for pro scouting. So um, uh, usually, like, when you start pro scouting, well, you do your spring training, and then let's say the minor league season starts April 6th, because you usually start with the minor leagues. So you have your schedule, five days here, five days there. You, can, you know your schedule until about the middle of July. But you have a schedule, but it always would blow up. So you, that last two weeks, you could be – you could really literally be 14 different places, depending on where you are at the time and what's going on. And it's so happened to all of us. You just, so you, know get a, you just know it. You get a phone call and says, we're looking for a left-handed bat that can play the corner outfield. Well, and here's the places you're going. At, the, at that point, you already know what you're looking for. But you'll, they'll say, hey, go to Rochester, New York. Uh, watch this guy play a couple of games. Hey, so-and-so starting tomorrow in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, get a look at him. Uh, you could be at a big league game. You could be, you could be pretty much anywhere because they need, they want that. And a lot of it is we already know that player. We already want that player, but that last week, we better make sure that player's healthy. Mm-hmm. Is he the guy we saw at spring training or back in April or May? Uh, are there any changes? Is he running well? His arm looked good. His swing looked good. And, and, you, and you might even sit on that player for a few days, which is better than jumping all over. A lot goes into it. A lot goes into yeah, it. It's a lot more doing. than you think. You know, it's like you, as, you're, as you become a veteran and you've been doing this a while and you get a young guy that's got all the energy, like I did, and oh, I'm glad to be a scout. We always say, so you want to be a scout after a few weeks of travel and after a few weeks of driving, <laughs> watching games in 30-degree weather in Chicago – or catching a flight the next morning. Yeah, it's there's more, a lot more. And there's a lot of sitting in front of this computer. That's what I hated more than anything. So um, you do your scouting and you say, okay, he's good. That information comes back and now the GM or the VP of player personnel says, all right, what's he worth to, to us? No, Is I never, that's usually uh, not up to, we, we have an idea. But well, here's where I would come. Not so much the value. And you, uh, a scout mostly stays out about, well, he's got a contract. He's going to get paid $10 million for the next two years. We stay out of that. When we trade this guy for our double-A prospect, or when we trade this guy for our backup middle inferior, that's how we compare him to what we're going to give up as a, as a player, personnel. Not so much money. That's their decision. And I, I'm happy with that. Because you don't really know what they – a lot of times the ownership doesn't even tell the GMA what to the last minute. Okay, go get him. That's, that's it. You know, it's like – you can right, sign. Right. Like in Chicago, you don't really know what went behind. 
You don't know how much Hoyer had to, to sign these guys. I mean, I really think, and you might think I'm crazy. I think they did. As long as these kids turn out good that they got, which you never know, I think it was a smart move. Now, it would be smart if he didn't burn any bridges and he can bring some of these guys back. Now, I don't know that or not, you know. You can always that's a, that's a great point because when we got Rizzo in 2012, I think it was from Boston or San Diego, they were laughing at the time. I don't know the GM was, and look what I mean. Rizzo turns out to be you know legendary. Yeah. Absolutely, and you might get him back. And, okay. and Hoyer came with them that, from Boston. And I don't know what the Cubs' plans are as far as winning next year or the year after. So if they're if they're planning on rebuilding for a couple of years, I, I doubt if he's going to be coming back there. But who knows? Who knows? It might surprise everybody. So you see a lot of uh, pitching has become such a huge factor in the game because there's so many strikeouts and the ball doesn't go in play. I watched this morning, um, Todd Frazier, I think is 105, took a 12-pitch walk in an Olympic game this morning against South Korea and started a five-run rally, and they never hit a ball out of the ballpark. Didn't hit yeah. a ball in a gap. Just continued to put the ball in play. And talk a little bit about how you've seen the uh, the evolution of the game or revolution of the game from when you started scouting it to what well, it looks like today. For me, from day one, and I'll go to my grave saying pitching and defense, but the arbitration part, the players don't get paid to move the runner over. They don't get paid to bunt the run over. And they don't get paid for hitting singles. They get paid for hitting home runs and doubles. So that's you think about it if you're if you're a major league baseball player and you can hit home runs but maybe hit 230 but you're going to get paid for it what are you going to do i mean there's a lot of money we're not talking about the money they made back in the 60s or 70s but now this is this is not only life-changing money but you're going to take care of your kids your grandkids and so on yeah but i think that hurts i i i i'm a big believer though that you have to have a lineup you got maybe you have to have a couple of those guys in a lineup that can be that threat that hit that bomb that three run over, but you got to have a couple of contact guys in the lineup to make the pitchers work. I mean, you these pitchers go up there and they know they they got a better chance of striking that guy out than him getting a hit. But you put a couple of guys in there, they're going to be pesky and fight, battle, ball ten pitches off, have a fourteen pitch of that. Now the pitcher's struggling out there. Next thing you know, he's at a hundred pitches, and now they got to go to the bullpen. I think every lineup should have a, a hitter like that, or even a couple, maybe. We had a great one in Chicago this past summer on the on the south side. Uh, Chris Nicky Madrigal, uh, he did a great job. Yeah. I mean, he was so pesky. Uh, like you said, he ran up the count on pitchers and the yeah. pitch count. Sometimes there were 14, 15 pitches yeah. just to him. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I I love seeing a, a great pitcher's duel. I don't think the average fan does. I don't. I don't know. You know. Um, I think to the point the where I will um, argue and appreciate a more educated broadcaster and color commentator who brings you into that battle and says, all right, he's been up and in twice. Is he going to go away? He's worked a slider away. He just showed that to him. He wants to raise his eye level, whatever that may be. So the battle, you understand the battle better between the pitcher and the hitter and the catcher, sure. maybe more so than you would in the sixties when Fergie and Bob Gibson would just go out oh. there and just destroy people. And you didn't even know, but it was over in an hour and 45 minutes. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, so. I think we, I think major league baseball, maybe, maybe do a better education of, of, uh, 
a contest like that, how exciting defense can be. You know, everybody remembers uh, the three-run homer that won the game in the ninth, but they forget about the great play somebody made early to save three runs. Sure. Really, that's they don't talk about that. They, you you read the article and it's the three-run homer. Well, you watch you watch the throw that goes to the wrong base. The the Yankees because I've been following. Um, um Rizzo on the MLB package and they had uh um judge playing center field and he goes in the gap in left center to get a ball and he throws the ball behind the runner the guys the, the play is at second no plays at third because you, you throw the throw the ball to the base ahead of the hitter yeah. and he throws the ball in the second base and the guy just keeps going to third and, and he has no idea error. where to throw the ball and it's not an error yeah, yeah. But he gave no, up. 90 that's feet. a stickler. I'll sit there and I'm like, why is that not in there? I mean, I've said that a hundred times, and that's why I was a stickler with, because I was an outfielder and I was, I was a very average defensive player, but I did get better. I really worked at it, and I really was a stickler with my son. That was his thing, defense. He's, and I'll argue he was as good as anybody playing center. But we worked on defense all the time, and uh, and he, we see, we talk about it. He's got, they blow games by throwing the yes, long pass. Yeah. They try to throw guys out at the plate. They have no business trying to throw out. They airmail the cutoff man, and the guy that just got the base hit ends up on second. Now there's another runner in scoring position. And pitchers hate that. Pitchers are standing on the mound, but I don't, I don't know that it ever gets corrected at that level. In the minor leagues, it gets corrected. They get to the big leagues, and I don't know. They forget about it. The ball's going all over the place, right? Oh, my God. Yeah. That's that's really unsettling to watch a major league game where, you know, two to three bases a game, just as you said. And they may show and they say, well, they played an errorless game. Well, they gave up a yeah. hundred, you know, they gave up 360 feet in base running yeah. because they threw the ball to the wrong base. So they, you know, they didn't get the double play because the guy didn't get the ball out of time. All of those so, types of things. So some of my, well, my closest friends still live in Chicago. They live in a city and they're like, they live and die with the Cubs. And we talked baseball, and I said, you know what you guys need to do is start watching the game without any sound. You're going to understand the better the game a little bit better. You're going to learn more because you're going to have to watch every little play instead of listening to some of the stuff that they're saying. I I really believe that. I think that's helped me. I, I stopped listening years ago. Um, but anyway. Uh, no, you get roped right. in by the announcer's calls. Yeah, and if you don't really understand the game, and, and on my side, I'll sit there and I'm like, what are you talking about that? You know, that's not right. And like when we watched our son play, Janet, my wife would always want the sound on. And they might say something that was not a big deal. And then she'd get all upset like they were making fun of our, our son. I said, no, they didn't say anything against him. He made a nice play there. They turned the sound off. That's what, but you know, I have to watch oh, it. Wow. I'll, I'll give one more comment to that. And I'll turn it over to John to kind of bring it to close because you've just been great. We could just keep going. But we had Chip Carey a couple of weeks ago, and he talked about that very thing. He goes, you know, I say a guy was four for his last 25, and all of a sudden they're pounding on me. But this, you were four for 25. That's that's just the way it was. I'm not being critical. I'm not being negative. I'm just reporting the news. And, you know, mom mom hears that, and all of a sudden you're being critical, and and it, it, it goes well, on. I look at that. A couple, couple walks and a couple bloopers, he's hitting 300. That's, yeah, exactly. that's exactly right. That's exactly right. That breaks and he's got two hits and uh, hits two rockets at people and it goes sure. the other way. So, yeah. John, I'm going to yeah, let you finish. Definitely. Uh, definitely. Um, Chris, uh, I want to tell you, my partner, Mark, 
Cesaric uh, was a great baseball player coming out of Ridgewood playing uh, little league. Uh, so I want you to know this was a thrill. Actually, I, I, I know more for me or more for him. And I got to tell you, um, you're still a legend in that neighborhood because when I met you in 1984 through a lady named Nanette Neri, came to Venus. Yeah, you came to Venus. Great people. Yeah, great family. They were, she was friends with you and Janet. Yeah. I'll tell you, when you came into that office and I found out that you were a scout and I knew already a little history about you, how you were as a ball player. And I want to tell you something from the bottom of my heart. My dad loved you. My Thank dad you. started Venus Travel had the highest respect for you. Thank and you. I really appreciate all you did for us. But I got to tell you, my friend, when you uh, when I called you up a couple of weeks ago, because I used to see you on a monthly basis when you were going around yeah. all the, the, the cities, uh, it really touched my heart when you said yes to come on this show. And tonight, like Mark said, uh, we could stay here another hour. I have learned so much of what you truly did. I would call you and say, hey, do you think the Cubs could get this guy? And you'd look at me like I was half crack. But uh, I'll tell you, uh, this was an honor. And it was so great to hey. see you. You're a man of integrity, and I miss you. And Thanks, thank you. God. You guys thank made you. my day talk some baseball. I usually just thank talk with my coming son. On. Thank hey, you. Thanks for coming get on. Get a big hug. And, and we'll bring you and your son on next time, and we'll, have, we gotta we'll, get we'll talk baseball here, yeah. even more. I'll tell you what. He might be a hard one. He's going in the high school uh, Hall of Fame here. He doesn't want to go because he doesn't want to make a speech. <laughs> so I can't wait. I'm all excited about it. He goes, I hope they cancel it. No. Well, listen, we'll make a deal with you. The next, we're going to have you back on because I want to talk more, but we'll get Peter on with you. I'll, I'll get him. I'll get him. Okay. All right. Thanks, thanks again, guys. Chris. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank Stay you, well. Chris. Thank you. Okay, you too, guys. All right. Bye-bye.